You're listening to Bible Prophecy Talk on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. My name is Chris. Thank you for downloading the show and for subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, your ratings of the podcast on iTunes are really helpful, as well as your ratings for the various books on Amazon.com, the Mystery Babylon book and the Daniel book. All of your ratings would be appreciated uh, with those as well. In this episode, I am continuing the process of releasing um, the chapters for my upcoming book, one chapter at a time. This chapter is called The Wars of Antichrist and the Messiah Ben Joseph Connection. And it talks about the wars of Antichrist, obviously, and the connection to the Jewish eschatological belief of Messiah Ben Joseph and how I believe that they are connected. So, without any further ado, I'll play this audio. It's about 18 minutes long. As always, I'll be interested in your feedback. Iron sharpens iron, and it would be helpful for me if there are any mistakes or problems with this theory that you could email me about it, and I could reconcile them or figure it out or change my view before any of this goes to print. So, thanks for your time, and here is this chapter. The Wars of Antichrist One of the clearest doctrines of the Antichrist is that he is a man of war. He seems to come on the scene by conquering a number of countries that surround Israel, Daniel 11, 40-45. One of the things that people who worship the Antichrist in Revelation 13 are so impressed with about him is his ability to defeat his enemies in war. Revelation 13, 4b says, They worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? We are told in Daniel 11:38-39 that his war-making capability is empowered by his worship of a, quote, God of fortresses, which I believe is a reference to Satan because we are told directly in Revelation 13:2 and 4 that it is the dragon, a clear reference to Satan, that gives the Antichrist his power to subdue the nations with war. Regardless of who exactly this God of fortresses is that the Antichrist uses to help with his military victories, the fact that he has such supernatural military victories is clearly evident. The Lord also tells us in Matthew 24 that just preceding the abomination of desolation event, which occurs at the midpoint of the 70th week, there will be wars and rumors of wars. In addition, the first seal, which is described in Revelation 6, 1-2, describes the Antichrist going out conquering and to conquer. The last few verses of Daniel chapter 11 actually tell us the very countries that the Antichrist will defeat, as well as a great many other details that I believe leave us with the undeniable conclusion that the Antichrist is attempting by these wars to fulfill one of the most, if not the most, important prophecies of the Jewish Messiah, that is, that he must conquer the enemies of Israel. I will quote Daniel 11.40, the first verse in this section about the wars of Antichrist. It says, At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships, and he shall enter countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. I will start with the identity of the king of the south. This is a reference to Israel's historic enemy, Egypt, and it has been used to refer to Egypt all throughout the first part of this chapter. This point is not contested by many people, and the word Egypt even appears explicitly twice a few verses later when it speaks of the subjection of Egypt to the Antichrist. Daniel 11:42 and 43 say, He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. 
It is very interesting to see Egypt attacks the Antichrist first in verse 40, and even though he completely subdues Egypt, the aggression of Egypt toward the Antichrist is worthy of noting, and will be important when we study Islamic eschatology in later chapters. The identity of the king of the north, another conquest of the Antichrist in verse 40, is debated somewhat among conservative expositors and scholars. During the Cold War, it was proposed that the king of the north was Russia. However, that view seems to have been based more on the geopolitics of the day rather than on any clue from the text itself. These days, it seems generally accepted that the king of the north represents the same thing it has throughout the earlier portion of this chapter, which includes parts of modern-day Iran, Iraq, Turkey, Syria, Afghanistan, and a few others. For more on this, I would recommend the excellent paper by Dr. J. Paul Tanner called Daniel's King of the North, Do We Owe Russia an Apology? Dr. Tanner concludes that paper this way, quote, To be hermeneutically consistent, the king of the north ought to be interpreted in light of the meaning the phrase has had throughout the chapter. I would like to submit that the king of the north is a confederation of northern Arab nations that will attack the Antichrist and his forces in this military conflict centered in the Middle East. So, to sum up the first part of this passage, the Antichrist is attacked by Egypt and a northern coalition of Arab states. But even though he is attacked first, he completely crushes these historic enemies of Israel, subdues them, and takes all their stuff. A quick word on the idea that these are the historic enemies of Israel. Not only are these two groups, Egypt and this particular group of Arab countries, consistent bad guys in the Bible, they also are specifically said to be destroyed and subdued by the Messiah during the Messianic Age. Isaiah 11.16, Isaiah 19.23-25, Isaiah 27.12-13, Micah 7.12, Zechariah 14.18-19. This destruction of them, then, by the Antichrist, suggests that he is attempting to fulfill these prophecies. At the very least, it would be very tempting for a Jewish person to believe that the person who finally destroys their incredibly antagonistic neighbors and forces them to capitulate to Israel is at least a strong candidate for the Messiah. Why isn't the fact that the Antichrist will destroy and subdue the enemies of Israel talked about more in modern prophecy teachings? The answer is that it doesn't fit with most of the modern views of the Antichrist. Why would the Antichrist, who they think is either a man of peace or a Muslim, destroy the Muslim world? It doesn't fit with their views, so almost no one dwells on this passage in their teachings. The Antichrist enters the glorious land. The next part of this prophecy gives us even further proof that the Antichrist is knowingly attempting to root out all the enemies of Israel and fulfill specific prophecies about the Messiah, though it should be said that many people view the next few verses in exactly the opposite way I do. Daniel 11.41 says, He shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. Most commentaries I have read interpret this to mean that after the Antichrist conquers Egypt and the other Arab countries, he enters Israel to attack the Jews as well. However, not only is there nothing in this text to suggest that he is attacking Jewish countries, I believe it explicitly is telling us the exact opposite is happening. I think this is showing us that the Antichrist is entering Israel here not to conquer the Jews, but to conquer those parts of Israel that are held by Israel's enemies. In other words, after the Antichrist's macro-conquests of the main enemies of Israel, like Egypt and Iran, etc., he then enters Israel to mop up the micro-enemies of Israel, which are their immediate neighbors, like the Palestinians. This is most evident by the fact that the three places mentioned in verse 41, Edom, Moab, and Ammon, all of which are Arab nations, escape from his hands. 
The only reason to describe them as escaping from his hands is to show that they were in fact being pursued by the Antichrist in the first place. These groups too are consistently mentioned as being conquered in the Messianic Age. Also, it should be noted that it says he enters the glorious land and overthrows, quote, many countries. I suggest that this phrase only makes sense if he is attacking other non-Jewish countries in Israel. Modern Israel holds a very small portion of the land that they were given by God. See map below. It is of the utmost importance to realize that there are several prophecies in Scripture that say when the Messiah comes, he will conquer all the lands that were rightfully given to Israel, including, for example, the coastlands, which are currently Palestinian-controlled lands such as Gaza. I will quote a passage in Zephaniah 2, which describes how the real Messiah will take back these lands during the Kingdom Age. Zephaniah 2, 4-9 says, For Gaza shall be forsaken, and Ashkelon desolate. They shall drive out Ashdod at noonday, and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nations of the Cherethites! The word of the Lord is against you. O Canaan, land of the Philistines, I will destroy you, so there shall be no inhabitant. The seacoast shall be pastures, with shelters for shepherds, and folds for flocks. The coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They shall feed their flocks there. In the houses of Ashkelon they shall lie down at evening. For the Lord their God will intervene for them, and will return their captives. I have heard the reproach of Moab, and the insults of the people of Ammon, with which they have reproached my people, and made arrogant threats against their borders. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be like Sodom, and the people of Ammon like Gomorrah, overrun with weeds and salt pits, and have a perpetual desolation. The residue of my people shall plunder them, and the remnant of my people shall possess them. So I am proposing that the Antichrist will succeed in trying to fulfill much of this prophecy in Zephaniah 2, according to Daniel 11.41. He will indeed conquer Gaza, Ashdod, Ekron, and the coastlands, etc., and expand the borders of Israel. However, he fails in securing the others specifically mentioned in Zephaniah 2, Edom, Moab, and Ammon. These are in modern-day Jordan. However, they were a part of Israel during the kingdom of David. This passage, then, functions as a help to those who will try to prove that the man everyone thinks is the Messiah, the Antichrist, isn't really the Messiah, because even though he almost fulfilled this prophecy in Zephaniah 2, he wasn't able to totally do it. He let some very important countries escape from his hands. Nevertheless, what he does next will be so astonishing that I doubt people will dwell on this failure for very long. The Post-War Resurrection of the Antichrist The next two verses in Daniel 11 that we have been studying are extremely important. The significance of them has often been overlooked due to an unnecessary chapter break between Daniel 11.45, the last verse in the chapter, and Daniel 12.1. Daniel 11.45 and 12.1 say, And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end, and no one will help him. At that time Michael shall stand up the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, every one who is found written in the book. In an earlier chapter, I alluded to my belief that these two verses showed that the Antichrist, quote, coming to his end here, must be a reference to his dying as a result of the, quote, mortal head wound, which is mentioned in several places in Scripture, Revelation 13, 3, 12, and 14, a wound that he eventually recovers from in what seems to be a miraculous resurrection. In other words, I don't believe that the mentioning of the Antichrist coming to his end in Daniel 11.45 is speaking of his final end at all. 
I mentioned that one reason for believing this is that the next verse, Daniel 12.1, starts out with the words, At that time, which chronologically connects the following events to the previous verse, meaning that the Antichrist coming to his end just after his conquests of the enemies of Israel is directly followed by Michael, quote, standing up and the beginning of a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. I will add in the footnotes my belief about the significance of Michael standing up here and how it relates to the abomination of desolation and the so-called time of trouble, but I believe a much more obvious connection to this event can be seen by the use of the phrase, a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. The Lord referenced this phrase in the Olivet Discourse when he was warning us of the persecution that would follow the abomination of desolation when the Antichrist declares to be God in the temple. He said the following in Matthew 24, 15, 16, and 21. Quote, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Since we know that the abomination of desolation occurs at the midpoint of the 70th week of Daniel, then we can piece together that the Antichrist, after defeating the enemies of Israel, is killed in Israel just before the midpoint. We can then infer that this killing of the Antichrist is not the final end of the Antichrist, because the Antichrist still has three and a half years more of destruction to complete. So it must be that this is a reference to his being killed, and yet seemingly coming back from the dead, Revelation 13, 3, 12, and 14 and that this resurrection precedes his declaring himself to be God in the temple and the persecution or time of trouble that follows. This theory about the timing of the Antichrist's wars, resurrection, and abomination of desolation has a very interesting connection to a Jewish eschatological belief that is almost completely unknown to evangelicals, but might prove to be the most important false prophecy ever spoken, as it could be the main reason that the Jews will embrace the Antichrist as their Messiah in the last days. The Messiah Ben Joseph Connection You might be surprised to know that the Jews are waiting for a man to do exactly the things that I just said the Antichrist will do. Namely, they are waiting for a man called Messiah Ben Joseph to destroy the enemies of Israel, march victoriously to Israel after these wars, where he will be killed by his enemies, but then miraculously resurrected. His resurrection will be the beginning of the Messianic Age, but not before a rooting out and killing of those who will not submit to the new Messianic authority. If you are following me so far, you can see how scary this idea about Messiah ben Joseph is, because it essentially means they are waiting on someone we know of as the Antichrist. Let me first explain the concept of Messiah ben Joseph. The Talmud, one of the most important Jewish texts, when trying to reconcile the various natures of the Messiah and the Bible, suffering servant, king, and conqueror, came up with the idea that there will actually be two Messiahs in the end times. The first, Messiah ben Joseph, will precede Messiah ben David. Messiah ben David is considered to be the superior Messiah. Messiah ben Joseph will do all the things I just mentioned, and the Messiah ben David will be the one who actually rules over the Messianic age as king. There are many different views about how the end times will play out in the Jewish world. But this view about the two messiahs is one that is widely accepted by any Jew taking a literal view of the end times. Probably because the concept of Messiah ben Joseph appears in the all-important Talmud, it was adopted and expanded on by almost every Jewish commentator in the Middle Ages, and has become a very entrenched belief in Judaism. I will quote the following from Shabbat.org, a very prominent Jewish theology website on Messiah ben Joseph. 
Follow the footnotes in this quote if you're interested in finding some of the sources for their beliefs about this. Quote, the principal and final function ascribed to Mashiach ben Yosef is of political and military nature. He shall wage war against the forces of evil that oppress Israel. More specifically, he will do battle against Edom, the descendants of Esau. Edom is the comprehensive designation of the enemies of Israel. The immediate results of this war will be disastrous. Mashiach ben Yosef will be killed. This is described in the prophecy of Zechariah, who says of this tragedy that, quote, they shall mourn him as one mourns for an only child, Zechariah 12.10. His death will be followed by a period of great calamities. These new tribulations shall be the final test for Israel, and shortly thereafter, Mashiach ben David shall come, avenge his death, resurrect him, and inaugurate the messianic era of everlasting peace and bliss. This is so clearly a description of the Antichrist in Daniel 11 that there have been very prominent rabbis, such as Isaac Abrabanel, 1437-1508, that claim that the Christians invented the concept of Antichrist based on their view of Messiah ben Joseph. This is an absurd claim, but it helps to show that even they see the obvious connection between a man they view as their savior and the man that Christians call the Antichrist. The Extermination of All Those Who Will Not Worship the Antichrist for obvious reasons, the following doctrine held by many Jews has not been widely explained to non-Jews. But there is a belief that after the resurrection of Messiah ben Joseph, there will need to be a time of cleansing of those that refuse to convert to Judaism. They believe this is necessary to usher in the time of Messianic peace. I will quote from The Doctrine of the Messiah in Medieval Jewish Literature by Joseph Sarachek on this point. Quote, the general belief is that when Israel becomes supreme, the unrepentant Gentiles and the inveterate foes among them will be extirpated. By the way, the definition of extirpate is to root out and destroy completely. Others will accept monotheism. As a visible token of their acknowledgement, they will practice some Jewish ordinances. Sarachek is saying here that the general belief among Jewish theologians is that after Israel becomes supreme, those that won't convert will need to be found and completely wiped out. This, I believe, sheds new light on why the greatest persecution of all time happens after the Antichrist officially declares his supremacy. It also explains why the epicenter of that persecution is in Judea. It also helps us to better understand the nature of the persecution and why it will be willingly carried out by so many. In future chapters, we will explore a bit deeper into Jewish eschatology, as well as Islamic eschatology, and see that they are both linked, and are, I believe, false doctrines that will play right into the hands of the Antichrist. In this chapter, I have shown you that the Antichrist is a man of war, that those he wars against are exclusively the enemies of Israel. I have made the case that this suggests that he is defeating these enemies in order to look as if he is fulfilling messianic prophecies, which I referenced. I showed you that his death in verse 45 of Daniel 11 must be a reference to the mortal head wound that he will recover from, based on the following verse, which links that time period to the midpoint and the abomination of desolation. Finally, I've discussed the undeniable links to the Antichrist's actions in Daniel 11:40-45, and the Jewish belief in Messiah ben Joseph, and how the persecution that Jesus and Daniel warned us about is believed to be a necessary part of the cleansing period after Messiah ben Joseph is resurrected. Thanks for listening. If you would like a free copy of the Christianity 101 DVD, which contains 8 gigabytes of audio, video, and text of various discipleship materials on a data DVD, please go to any one of my websites and look for the Christianity 101 button. It's totally free and I'll ship it to you wherever you are in the world. If you would like to support this ministry or any of the others that I do, please consider a tax-deductible donation 
which can be sent by PayPal using the email chris at chriswhiteministries.com or by clicking the PayPal button on any one of my websites. Another great way to support this ministry is by writing a review of the podcast on iTunes or writing a review of my books on Amazon. Reviews figure very prominently into the ranking algorithms of both of those websites, and the higher they rank, the more people that can be reached. Thanks for your time and for subscribing to this feed.